So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Asian Woman Festival podcast. My name is Shay Gadaval. I am the Deputy Director of Asian Women Festival, and I'm your host for this podcast series. And I'm super chuffed to be doing this, actually. This is something that the whole team has wanted to work on for such a long period of time. And um, the podcast is all about introducing you to people, firstly, you may not know, who are trailblazers within um, our communities, but really talking about the subjects that we've dealt with in the festival, but not have the opportunity to really go into deep depth. And so it felt right that for the first ever podcast that we be joined by a trailblazer in her own right, but actually without her, this festival wouldn't be here. Um, I'm really chuffed to say that we have with us Shani Danda. She is the festival director and founder of Asian Women Festival. She is also a disability equality activist. Shani, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. And I can't believe we're here. I we know. We made it. We did it. I know. It feels really <laughs> surreal to me because... Yeah. It's been, what, a year and a half since the festival launched, yeah. um, since we opened the doors where we were expecting 200 people to turn up, over a thousand people came, and now here we are with the podcast. I, For anyone who is coming to this podcast for the first time and has just heard about Asian Women Festival, I felt like it was important that we just talked bare bones and that we discussed where it all began. So... You're the founder of this festival and you're so passionate about this festival. Where did Asian Women Festival come about for you? Where did it start? So I was actually looking for, you know, a space where I could meet other like-minded Asian women. Um, I've always felt that my views were a little different from the people around me, i.e. my close family or my friends Oh, some of my friends. So yeah, I was just looking for a like-minded community and I couldn't find it. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can't be the only South Asian British-born woman who who is thinking like this that wants to have, you know, certain conversations and like, where are these women? Why can't I find any? And when I looked and did research, the only sort of gatherings or events that I could find were either to you know book your wedding venue or yeah. <laughs> or buy a new lenga yeah. and what if you don't want to do that or what if you've already done that or yeah. you know then then it got me thinking is that all we value South Asian women for is that you know ability to get married and have kids and yeah. look nice in a, a sari or food yeah how well we can cook yeah or how round your roti are yeah. and I just thought nah this can't be it and if I'm feeling like this, there must be other people out there that must be feeling the same. So my background is actually in event management. Yeah. And I thought, well, if anyone's going to do, if anyone's got the skills, why don't I? I I'm a, a, a massive believer in not living with regrets. And, you know, I, I will always try something, even if it fails, at least I know I've done it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to be totally honest with the festival. I thought I'm just going to do the first one and see what happens and see where it goes. And and as you mentioned, you know, I thought maybe 200 people would turn yeah. up, but yeah. we actually had over a thousand people there on the day. People had traveled from all over the world to, to come. It's huge. To, it's huge. And, you yeah. know, I had my event manager hat on, so I was just focused on logistics, everything going right, yeah. you know, in, in, in the nitty gritty detail. It wasn't until you opened the festival and I was sat there next to my mom and I was in tears. I was yeah. actually, and I think I cried about 10 times that day. Yeah, I I'm going to cry now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just like, oh my God, 
I've put this together and all these people have come and uh, yeah I just I was just so overwhelmed with the support the love uh, and I think the, the space that was created and I just feel really proud that I was able to hold that space not only you know for myself because it was something that I wanted yeah. but for so many other others as well and not just women you know uh, we had so many different people there and not just South Asians either so it's true it was amazing I remember when we um, opened up the festival and I was stood on stage to introduce you to come on. Yeah. And um, for anyone who didn't attend, I, I was the host for the festival. Um, but what I thought was really interesting was what you've just talked about, the demographic. I saw people from so many different communities and age groups as well. Yeah. Which I don't think we realized mm-hmm. the impact that the festival would have. Um, and, you know, usually when I host events, I'll just turn up, you know, and whatever is required of me, I'll do. And and that's, you know, that's what I'm there for. But I think this festival touched me in a very different way because like you just said, there were so many different stories. You know, it felt like a safe space for women to just kind of share their truth. Some of the things that people were saying was really shocking in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah. I I was really taken back by that. I totally agree. And again, I wasn't expecting that. People literally came and they bared their soul, Mm. you know, in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. But it didn't feel like that. It felt like a safe space. It felt like we understood one another. And I think especially, you know, I'm I'm a very proud Brummie and I was very passionate about launching and, and keeping the annual festival here in Birmingham. And I feel like, especially in this area, in the Midlands, we're still quite conservative about, certain topics you know I I see a massive difference in comparison to other areas like London and I feel the more north you go the the more conservative we are about talking about certain things so I was really happy that we could finally have this space and and have these discussions here in in Birmingham because we're a great city you know it's a vibrant city flying the flag I love that you know for anyone who's thinking what was being said at the festival what were people talking about it was everything from you know the the typical stereotypical taboos that we always discuss right so we had um individuals discussing and talking um about their personal experience whether it's forced marriage um there's a big debate around colorism um, there was also a lot of discussion about the LGBTQ community and the treatment um, of women specifically and coming out. There was a lot of discussion about relationships between Sikhs, Muslims, Hindus. You know, all of that was covered. And in the coming, you know, weeks with the podcast, we're going to delve into those topics. So I don't, you know, we, you and I could spend probably an hour just talking about one of those talks, right? But for me, I remember when you... And I want it to go on record for people to understand how much work has gone into this. I remember when you were sat in our flat and it was like one o'clock in the morning (laughs) and we'd had dinner, late dinner. And you said, I've got this idea, but I don't think it will work. And I was like, oh, I wonder she's probably, because you're a traveler, which we will talk about. You love traveling. And I was thinking, I guarantee it's going to be, I'm taking a year out. (laughs) I'm going to get on a plane. And my idea is I'm going to do a travel blog. And when you said Asian Woman Festival, I was like, wow, my mind was blown because you kind of think, hold on, we're in, at that point it's 2019. How has it not happened before? How has something like this not happened before? We have so many festivals in this country. We have so many, as you just said, Asian wedding exhibitions. But I've never seen something solely focused on women, women of color. But actually, 
we exist, Asian women. And, right? and you know, we're, we're at Asian Woman Festival, we're all about smashing those stereotypes yeah. and stigmas to yeah. empower and celebrate Asian women. And, you know, growing up, I had so many different role models from, you know, I know it's so cliche, but my mum is my huge, like my biggest role model. But I, you know, I was struggling as a young adult to find like-minded people apart from you obviously oh thank you um and I thought well who do my niece and nephew have as their role models growing up you know the world is very different from when our parents grew up in it and it's it's ever-changing and you've got you know other external factors like Brexit you know and just so many other things and now we're living in this um age of colorism and anti-blackness and black lives matter absolutely so you know, there's so many external factors. And then also I feel like as South Asians or, or any ethnic minority that lives in this country, no one ever talks about the conflict that you feel. Yeah. You know, the I, yeah. And, you know, when I go back to India, I'm viewed as British. When I'm here in Britain, I'm not viewed as British enough. Right. So it's like, who am I? Where where do I fit in? Where am I ever enough? Exactly. And this is only one part of my identity. And I just thought, you know what, we, we need, if we don't talk about it, if we don't have a space to challenge this or, or learn off others and create opportunities so they can share their experiences, how is anything ever going to change? How are we ever going to educate those exactly. that need educating? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because like, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a mum. I'm married to a beautiful husband and most people, whenever I talk about this, they, they always think it's the opposite, but it's, it's so true in the fact that I'm very lucky that I have a husband who supports me. In fact, he encourages me, you know, to, to do stuff like this, whereby the stereotype is usually your husband won't want you to be working or maybe won't encourage you. You know, Sonny is someone who is constantly telling me, go do it. And when I said to him, I want to do more than just host the festival. I want to be a part of it strategically. He could see why, because we have a young daughter and it's so sad that in 2020, we're still dealing with the conversations that we had to deal 30, 40 years ago, right? I don't want my daughter to have to grow up in a world where she's still perceived as less than a boy, where the birth of her isn't celebrated, you know, where actually she's told the only top priority she has is to get married and, oh, it has to be an Asian man. And, oh, actually, not only that, if she's going to get married, don't forget, she's then going to have to accept all the traditions of the family and they don't have to accept her. Do you know what Mm, I mean? Like those conversations are still happening. And so I hope that kind of sets out a bit about why you set up the festival and I'm sure in the coming weeks of the podcast we're going to delve into some of those subjects but I feel like it's important for people to know you Shani Danda the person Shani Danda the activist Shani Danda who in my opinion as a friend you know you're not defined by your disability but you do have a disability and a lot of people I know and I've been in the room when this has happened will meet you and they see the disability first. They don't see the beautiful, caring, independent, intelligent woman that I see. And I wanted to focus on that for a moment because yeah. I think that's a big part of why we are where we are now with the festival. Yeah. I genuinely believe you wouldn't be the woman you are today had you not gone through those experiences. 100 right? million percent. So for yeah. those people that can't see it, tell us about the disability that you have and then we can kind of delve into a bit more of, you know, the kind of work that you're doing around disability rights. Sure. So I was born with a rare genetic condition 
Uh, it's more commonly known as brittle bone disease. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that my bones were liable to break without any trauma. So um, people with my condition can cough and break a rib. So what it means is that my childhood was um, a very protected one. Uh, by the age of 14, I had broken my legs six times. And, you know, that, that's nothing because people with my condition actually break between three to 400 times in their lifetime. Wow. But I consider myself to be very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, and I guess the most visible thing about me is that I have a short stature due to the condition. So my height is three foot ten. So I'm about the height of a, a tall four-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely shaped the way I think uh, shaped my experiences you know I live in a world that isn't designed for me yeah um and whilst I can sit here and focus on all the negatives like I I I'm so resilient I've got so many positives that I can take from it and I have so much courage because of it yeah. if I didn't have courage there wouldn't be any Asian woman no, festival. I agree I agree they wouldn't... but but look let's talk about this honestly you know the, the stories that you have told me about yeah haven't shocked me but they always saddened me yeah and you know you grew up in in a household and I know you, you're not going to mind me saying this because you've talked about it publicly before yeah you grew up in a household where your parents were told right yeah she's not going to get married yeah tell us about those scenarios and what your parents had to go through and what you went through as a child so I guess you know as as pretty much everyone can understand, you know, disability unfortunately still faces a further sense of stigma mm. in South Asian communities, even more, you know, further than the perception that we have in society, which I think is extremely poor. Mm. Um, so yeah, growing up, I felt that lots of people, not only within my family, but in the wider community, because, you know, I grew up in a huge uh, community, mm. as, um, you know, we'd be at the Godwara, like, Three or four days a week. Yeah, strong Punjabi family. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved that. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's made me very sociable. Uh, but yeah, so lots of people had very low expectations for me. Uh, what were know, the kind of things people said? Just sure. say Sure. So when, when, when I was like looking for work, people were like, well, you don't have to work. You can claim disability benefits. And I was just like, well, I want to contribute to society. I don't yeah. just want to sit at home and do yeah. nothing. Yeah. And it's like, you'd never say that to, to anyone in your own family. Why would you say that to me? Right. And I don't know, maybe, I think, maybe the elder generation thought they were saying something kind. Mm. But to me, I was just like, no. And then, like, people were shocked when I learned how to drive, that I wanted to go to uni. Just, like, really basic things that you would want for your own children. What would they, what would they, what would they say to your parents about, like, your future and marriage and well, things like that? Well, first of all, they wouldn't even talk to me. They'd talk to my mom about me while I was standing right next to her. And I'm like, like what? Hello. Shani kidda, shani tikya. I'm like, what? I'm I'm like, I'm like, right here. Like, I'm not deaf. I can, I can hear. I can respond. Um... But then when I'd respond, my mum would be like, you're being rude. I was like, I'm not being rude. Yeah. And so not only have I had to educate, you know, the wider community, I've really had to have difficult conversations at home yes. with my own family. And I'm not here, you know, to blame anybody. It's, it's a, it was a whole new experience for all yeah. of us. Yeah, of course. But I, all I know is from my young age is I've known what's right and I've known what's wrong for, yeah. for me. Yeah. And that's always not, you know, tied in with what my family might have thought or wanted for me either. So whichever way I look at it, I've always had challenges. I've always had barriers, whether they be societal, cultural, physical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's definitely, you know, shaped 
who I am, what, why I do what I do, but ultimately I just want others to not have to go through the same challenges as me. And this is why I do everything that I do. But do you know, I remember once you told me about being at a bus stop. Yeah. It still haunts me, this story, so. And, and this story yeah. for me, I feel like this particular story sums up what is wrong with society, but especially with the Asian community. Yeah. Because, you know, words like bajari, yeah. which I'm means- I'm not a bajari. No, I exactly. Live. Thank you. And amen to that, yeah. right? But don't, for anyone who doesn't know what bajari means, like, you know, poor thing or, oh, isn't that such a shame? It's a pity party. It's a pity party. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Is, is, it's not empowering, you know, at all. Um, but especially I find if you happen to be Asian, a woman and have a disability, yeah. right? That those are the words and terminologies that are straight away thrust upon you. What happened at the bus stop? So I I was like a young woman at this time. I was, I had just finished my part-time job. I was going, no, I just finished uni. Right. I was going to work and I had to catch two buses to do that. And uh, I was at the bus stop and there was an elderly Sikh, uh, like Baba granddad, and he was like, he didn't even say hello or anything. And he's like, Bajari, there are biabini huna, there are bini huna. And I was just like, hello. Like, it was just like a punch in the face. Yeah. Like, you don't you know, know that. I don't clear, know him. You've never met this guy in your life. He just I randomly just, looks at you. I mean, he is so lucky. If I was there, I would have punched him out. <laughs> and I, I was just like, did you just actually say that? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react because I was just there minding my own business. Yeah. And I'm used to people looking at me. I'm used to people, you know, nudging the next person to tell them to look at me. Right. I'm even used to people taking my photo, making video. I'm used how to all they? of that. And it's disgusting and it's horrible. Yeah. And only, I guess, in the last couple of years, I've had the confidence to actually call people out, have the confidence to go up to people and say, what are you doing? Are you yeah. taking my photo? Why are you, why are you taking my photo? And yeah. you should see the shock and horror on their face. I've called them out. So for anyone who doesn't understand Punjabi, let's let's set that context. I'm going to be the evil old man yeah. here looking at you, the yeah. most beautiful woman that I know. Um, you poor thing. You're not even going to get married. You're not even going to be able to have children. That's basically what you were saying to you. That's what you said. Um, why was that such a defining moment for you? Because um, I appreciate, as you've said, up until that point, you're constantly pushing back. You're yeah. constantly telling family, no, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to have my own career. Yeah. But that moment, and I've known you for a long amount of years yeah. now, coming up to a decade. That moment, I know whenever you talk about it, even now, I can see it in your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like you're back there. Yeah, it, it honestly, and it just haunts me this. this what was uh, it about? Was it the fact that he had the audacity I think so. to basically sum up your future within 30 seconds? Yes, and I feel like many other people would probably think that as well. But they don't say it. They don't say it. No, of course. I mean, it's it's really, it's not nice to say. It's really rude to say. And don't get me wrong, people don't hold back. I think... Mm. When you look different, whatever um, culture this is, people just come up to you and say the weirdest things. Like people have come up to you and said, what's your life expectancy? Or, you know, can you do this? People that you don't know. People just that I don't randomly. know. Yeah. Wow. And I was just like, well, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But <laughs> what if I did have a terminal illness? And what if I did have three months to live? What And what what would you do with that information? Exactly. People are just so nosy. It's but, none of your bloody business. Yeah. But I think with this story, with this situation, like, it just caught me so off guard. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like it probably does sum up how a lot of people would perceive me and, and my future and, and 
maybe define me by that. But yeah. what I really want to, you know, I don't want to leave here without putting this on record. Yes, I was born with a condition, but that condition doesn't disable me. Exactly. What actually disables me is uh, barriers, whether they be cultural, attitudinal, and, and um, people's bias. Mm. So what I mean by that is, this guy thinks, this man, mm. whoever he is, I wish I knew his yeah, name. I talk exactly, about him so often. Exactly. Uh, you know, he was like, she's not going to do this. She's not going to do this. But what if I had done it? What if exactly. I was married? What if I did have kids? Yeah. But then that's actually what disables me. And then that is a very harmful uh, thought process to go out in life with. And I, I feel like being a disability activist mm. has really helped me own this identity it's helped me redefine what disability actually means and I feel like we're so far from that conversation in the South Asian community it's why I created the Asian Disability Network because again I would hate for somebody to have that happen to them yeah and I know and the truth is it's happening it's happening we 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 know we know the statistics are staggering within the UK and I appreciate this podcast is going out worldwide but if we focused on the fact that you know you're British and and so that is your lived in experience as a British Asian woman that the statistics here um firstly are dreadful in terms of treatment towards uh, disabled people but if you look at the BAME community black Asian minority ethnic communities the word is not getting out there, right? The discrimination that they face. We know that there are um, forced marriages that take place mm-hmm. to um, Asian people who have learning difficulties or disabilities. Yeah. You know, that that is still being uncovered right now. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And it's kind of seen as acceptable. Yeah, like it's okay. Well, yeah. Otherwise, what else are we going to do? Yeah. That was something I wanted to focus on for the rest of the podcast and to talk to you about was the, the, the things that you're doing. You've mentioned the Asian Disability Network. Um, let's just put this into context, yeah. right? Because people probably can tell that I, I admire you to bits. But <laughs> so let's get this right. You've got a full time job. You're the founder of Asian Women Festival direct uh, of Asian Women Festival. You're the yeah. d- festival director. Yeah. Um, you also have created Asian Disability Network. Mm-hmm. You're also the founder of Diversibility Card, which yeah. is the UK's first discount card for disabled people oh and by the way you also do go out and do public speaking like where do you get the time is, is has this guy really upset you that much that you're like do you know what I'm actually gonna go out there and everything you said I can't do I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it 10 times four most people would struggle doing one of those right yeah I mean like, where do you get the energy to do everything and well, we'll talk about what they all yeah, are in a minute but like yeah. genuinely I want to know about the passion where it comes from for you to be able to do all of that well I think first and foremost the the main drive and motivation for me is that I want to create change like I've had so many experiences good and bad you know I have privilege in some, certain situations and in some I don't mm. and I want to use whatever voice I have whatever privilege I have to make this world a bit of a nicer place to live in if you're someone that is so marginalized and so far from having what can be described as a non-traumatizing experience while we're living on this earth for whatever short time we are and so that that's definitely a motivating factor for me that the biggest one but also like I'd be lying if I said it wasn't that I was trying to prove a point to whoever has probably yeah. doubted me. Um, you know, even in my own family. And I I don't feel like any of this is work. 
I am like I have got so many more ideas and things that I yeah. want to do, and I'm just like, no, she'll need to focus on what you started, <laughs> please. Like you know, uh, I so, mean, like it, it's a lot to do, right? When yeah. you're when you're setting up a diversity card, a card which you know gets discounts for anyone who's disabled. I mean, yeah. that is huge. That's kind of like you know, I've always loved. I remember when I was at uni, I was yeah. like, this is heaven. I have a student card. Yeah. Oh my god, I yeah. get discount. You know, but this is something that. Um, it shouldn't be a privilege. This is something that should be there for people with disabilities. Absolutely. And I'm going to be totally honest. I don't have a business background. Mm. None of my family do. I, you know, have I had an idea and I thought I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it because if I don't, I'm go- always going to think what if. Right. And I didn't realise I was setting up a tech company. I didn't realise I was setting up a, a data insight company but I've gone on such a journey I've learned so much about myself which I have loved and I I I love this journey that I'm on because not a day goes by without somebody emailing me and saying is it is the card launched yet you don't know how much it's going to change my life wow and again there's so many reasons why uh this 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 platform is being launched but I know it's going to help so many people it's an interesting point um that you make but why why do you think um, disabled people need discounts. So here in the UK, disabled people face many unavoidable extra costs. Like what? Due to living with a conditional impairment. So, for example, I can't use public transport. So my if if I didn't drive, I'd have mm. to use um, taxis to get everywhere. Um, and because I live in London, driving isn't my first option. I'm late to everywhere I need to go to because of traffic. And right. I'm less productive because I have to leave hours just to get to and from places um if I want to travel my travel insurance is like 600 pounds whereas someone who is a similar age as me theirs is like 10 pounds there's so many um unavoidable extra costs and you know I've got a friend who's in an electric wheelchair she has to charge her chair every night therefore she has a higher energy bill she just doesn't have the option to not charge a chair of course yeah so you know, these are things that are, are overlooked every day. And, and £583 is the average cost. And that is a lot of money yeah. to a lot of people. And then when you add on the fact that disabled people are twice as likely to be unemployed and the fact that half of disabled people in the UK are classed as living in poverty and the only way to really get out of poverty is based on your capability to work, how the hell are you expected to meet these extra costs? It's not going to happen, it's right? It's not going to happen. And it feels like gonna everything change. is stacked up against you. Yeah. But to me, I find it so interesting because I, look, let's be frank, there's going to be people who are, are going to listen to this and think, oh yeah, it's just, you know, the massive pity party now. But you, you've, you've for everything that you're doing, this has all been a passion project. You're not, yeah. you're not getting paid. You know, this is all about you genuinely wanting to make a change and you genuinely trying to get, legislation change if possible yeah. funding where possible yeah. for people do you believe though if we were to really focus on the asian community in our lifetime and in our generation things will change because i know sometimes people i mean like look you use the example of this elderly man you know and people will think well hold on he was of that age and you know oh that that's expected of that time but it's fair to say, right, you, you're going through this now. You've told me of scenarios when you, you're walking down the street and people who are our age, so yeah. what, in their 30s, yeah, will just younger. take out their phone and start taking photos yeah. of you. Yeah. So this isn't just about eliminating old thought process, processes. It's about the up and coming generations. Like, do you think things are going to change? Specifically in the South Asian community, we've got so much further to go. I, yeah. I think a lot has changed. But what, I like think, what? What do so you think? I think attitudes towards uh, the LGBT 
LGBTQ community. I think that's yeah. changed massively. Right. Um, you know, and I I've personally seen a big shift in that in that dialogue mental health I mm. think we're talking about that a lot more right. I, like, don't get me wrong it's not perfect it's not it's not everywhere it needs to be but at least we're talking about it at least we have platforms now where people can go for support they can be heard they can get the help that they need before none of that existed yeah so I do I do think we have made changes but I think I think specifically with disability it's such a broad term and you know, I don't, I don't call myself a, dis, you know, uh, I don't class myself as disabled. As I mentioned, I'm not disabled by my condition. I'm disabled by other people yeah. and barriers. Yeah. So I think we need to uh, change the mindset. That that's that's the first thing that I think we need to do. And I think we need to actually talk about the prevalence as well. But also, on top of all of this, is representation, not just in the South Asian community, but worldwide societal, yeah. societal level representation you know on screen in films in the books that we read the soaps that we watch where is it yeah why is it that I'm 33 years old and I've only ever seen two people of color with visible conditions on my tv screen that are men why is that yeah until I until I was in that situation and I was in the LinkedIn advert I had to represent myself I had to be the change that I wanted to see exactly and I don't want it to be that hard for other people it's interesting though, right? Because, um, and I think this, I mean, I can't believe the time has flown by and I swear we could talk for another two hours, but um, I feel like the final point that I wanted to talk to you about was the future of, of the festival and, and what our hopes are for the festival. Um, and for me, it's mind boggling that we're still dealing with all of that, especially when, you know, as I said earlier on, and no pressure to my daughter when she listens back to this in 10 years, but <laughs> you know, the reason that I came onto the festival wasn't for me as much as for my daughter, because I was like, how are we still having the same conversations? How is it that within the BBC, when I interview people, I'm asking the same questions now that I was 10 years ago, and there's not really been a fundamental shift and change within the Asian community around perception of women, treatment of women, um, and also what we want for women, yeah. right? We still only want our daughters to get married yeah. and be happy and have yeah. children. Why are we not having our daughters aspire for what we expect of our sons? Why are we not getting our daughters to say, you're going to be the most successful businesswoman in the world if that's what you want, yeah. or you're going to go out there and, you know, set up the biggest, I don't know, FTSE 100 company yeah. if that's what you want. And Shay, you said, I remember, I, I remember you saying this, as South Asians, we spend more on our daughters' weddings than we do their education. That's right. That's sickening. That to me it makes is. me feel sick. So the average cost of um, an English wedding, a white wedding in in the UK, is thirty to forty thousand pounds. The average, and this, what I'm going to tell you now, is just disgusting. And I'll tell you why I think it's disgusting. The average cost of an Indian wedding. Now, when I say Indian or South Asian wedding, it doesn't matter about religion here is now between 80 to 90,000 pounds. We do not spend that money on our children's education, but we will save our whole lives for our child's wedding. Which for one day. For one day, which most people are going to say the food wasn't great. Yep. The other are going to probably forget, you know, exactly what happened. Yep. Oh, and by the way, there may be a possibility things may not work out. Right, exactly. whereby if we'd invested that kind of money into our child's education, or, or them as an individual, yeah, like you know, education. Not everybody wants to go to uni, and yeah. that's fine too. Yeah, I agree with Just that. Just them as an individual and respect what they want and who they want to be. But I feel like 
in the community that we're born into, there's so many expectations that are put on people. There's so much pressure. Mm. And then what that that forms is guilt. Yeah. Because you can't ever please people. Mm. And then you're like, well, hang on. What do I want? What's going to make me happy? So it's yeah. just a vicious cycle. It is. And by the way, can I just put this on note? If, if you wake up in the morning and your your aspiration is that you want to be happily married and you want to have children, yeah. which by the way, I have both. Yeah. And that is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I respect you for that being what you want in your yeah. life. But majority of the time, that is what is imposed on us. And that's what we're told from such a young age. Yes. That's all we think yeah. about. Yeah. And just finally, that's where I wanted to end it, end it um, with the podcast was to ask you what your hopes are for Asian Women Festival moving forward. Um, I know you and I, you know, have talked about um, worldwide, you know, perception of Asian women. We've talked about taking the festival to other countries, but where, what's your vision as somebody who's set all of this up? Because the beautiful thing is now we have a team of fantastic women, you know, of which you and I are a part of it. How many are there of us now on the team? 12. 12 of us within a year and a half and it's ever growing. So. Coming back to you having started all of this, where would you like to see it go? Well, I never thought it would be what it is today. Um, yeah, it's amazing and, and how quickly it's all grown. But it, I guess it just shows that I had a good idea. And yeah. other people wanted... I'm wanted sending you a high five. <laughs> <laughs> wanted in as well. So I want this to be a worldwide uh, community, which we already are. Yeah. So we have... Um, such an active and engaged community online on socials um but we also you know create safe spaces at our events and mm. and you know it's, it's 2020 right now we've we're just coming out of lockdown so yeah. we're not able to to meet as we once were but I know that we will again but absolutely you know we're already having conversations about hosting festivals in different countries but what what the festival is for me is to create opportunities for others whether you're an artist whether you want to launch a brand or a business whether you want to speak whether you just want to share something that you went through you can do that with us and you can trust us to do to share your story and and give it this justice and the honour it that, it that it deserves. I think that's a beautiful way for us to end um, this. Shani Dunder, Asian Women Festival Director and Founder, thank you so very much. Mm-hmm.